0: Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. My name is Eli Herskovich. You can follow The Lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow my co-host, Monawara, on Twitter, as it's spelled on the screen, at Monawara. And you can follow our guest on Twitter, Adam Burke, at Skating Tripod, sports betting analyst for VEASAN out in Las Vegas. He's also a Cleveland Guardians fan, I believe he has. Yeah, he's got some Guardians gear on. Right now, gotta ask you, man, to start things off, Cleveland has fewer runs scored than the Oakland Athletics. 10 less runs, believe the fewest amount of home runs in baseball, 30 home runs two months into the season. Your thoughts? I'll kind of keep it open-ended there.
1: Well, thank you for that. That's a great way to start my appearance here on the show. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, I mean, last year, when you look at their contact quality metrics from last year, they weren't any good. They just got really lucky on a lot of balls in play and, you know, going opposite field in the era of the shift kind of helped them. They kind of played Guardians baseball, which has kind of become, you know, sort of it was a lovable term last year. It's a hateworthy term this year, but it was a lot of putting balls in play, forcing the defense to make plays, all that. I thought they'd be very well equipped for the rule changes because they put so many balls in play, but because they've helped everybody. The Guardians just haven't had any batted ball luck. they got the lowest barrel rate in baseball. They have the lowest hard hit percentage in baseball. They, You can't really manufacture runs all the time. You need somebody that can hit you a three-run homer every now and then, and they don't really have that. There's help coming from below, but they've been kind of reluctant to use it. It's a mess, and to be completely honest with you, Eli, the way they've played, they should be buried in any other division but the AL Central is so pathetic that they still actually have a chance to win this thing, despite being the worst offense in baseball for two months now.
0: Yeah, it's it's bad, and we'll touch on parity right now, actually, but before we get more into the baseball conversation, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including most day-to-day MLB bets, and you can find those in the Lions Discord channel, the link is at the lines.com in the top right-hand corner. Play.thelines.com if you want a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card daily in our MLB Pick'em Contest. So, on that note, Adam, when it comes to parity across MLB, no team has greater than a four-game lead in any division in baseball. This is something Mo and I talked about very briefly on our podcast earlier on Wednesday, depending on if you're listening to this on Wednesday night during the games or Thursday morning. And it kind of reminds me of not necessarily parody team wise, but parody from a market perspective. When you think about the NBA right now, I know you handicap all sports over at Vison and odds wise, we're going to see a team, no matter whether it's the heat. I mean, obviously entering the playoffs, they were 125 to one to win the title. Nuggets were 10 to one, but still going to be one of the bigger odds when it comes to title winners over the last 30 years or so. So going back to baseball, what do you make of all the parity right now? And is there an opportunity, generally speaking, to take advantage of it?
1: Well, I think you know some teams, in the way that they embrace technology and the way that they've embraced kind of the advances in the game, they're finding ways to create opportunities and edges at the margins that other teams aren't. Some teams just try to spend money put the best roster out there that they can with a bunch of free agents and everything like that. Other teams, and I'm speaking about teams like the Baltimore Orioles, for example, You know, they've tried to build from within. They don't really spend a lot of money on free agency. They're finding edges at the margins where all of a sudden like a dude like Tyler Wells is a good major league pitcher. Or last year Dean Kramer was pretty good. This year he struggled a little bit. They've completely revamped the bullpen over the last three years. So you've got some of that. You've got a lot of the technological advances in baseball advanced scouting staffs, what they're doing with player development stuff like that. But then also, you know, we had what three or four years in a row where some teams just didn't try. They just didn't try at all. They they tried to get high draft picks. They would trade away anybody who was worth anything and get and prospects, bring some of those guys up. Some teams even debuted those guys during that COVID shortened year. So, you get a lot of these teams that were bad for a long period of time that finally built up minor league systems that are worthwhile enough for them to graduate guys to the big leagues and actually have them contribute. You think about a team like the Arizona Diamondbacks, for example, with a guy like Corbin Carroll, you know, all of a sudden they have a bona fide star in the middle of that order, and they've kind of surrounded him with other talent that they've developed from within. They brought in Brent Strom as the pitching coach from Houston. He's done better with that bullpen. So it's just a lot of teams being creative internally. And then of course you have the teams that spend a lot of money that, you know, some of them have been good, some of them have been bad. But I think The internal player development and maybe fast tracking the development of some of your prospects is the reason why, yeah, the A's are terrible and the Royals are a bottom feeder. But really, outside of that, you know, a lot of these teams are very competent. And as you mentioned, a lot of them within striking distance of being in the playoff race. Yeah. And don't hit on the Oakland Athletics, they've taken the first two in that Brave series. Which, which, by the way, is a really good indicator of how ridiculous it is to bet baseball on a daily basis like (laughs) we do and how stupid we are because in a small sample, like anything can happen, right? I mean, last year, the Pirates won five out of six against the Dodgers. This year, you're staring at Oakland, maybe sweeping Atlanta. Like baseball, to me, is the most unpredictable by far of the major sports. So, you know, I've had a really bad run in May. It's actually been a horrible month for me, but. Baseball is just so high variance that it can be a real roller coaster ride. Just, I mean, the Cubs got swept by the Reds at home over the weekend and then took the first two from the Rays and had a chance at a sweep with Justin Steele on the mound on Wednesday. So it's just, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, not just beat Tampa Bay twice, but Shane McClanahan to top it off. So one of those teams that you mentioned, though, within your discussion of parody, Adam, was the Baltimore Orioles. And they're sitting at, 33 to 1 to win it all. And another team that's been a bit of a surprise, at least to the kind of hot start they've gotten off to. I know they were a surprise candidate for someone like Mo, looking at some maybe long shot MLB futures before the season. The Texas Rangers sitting as low as 17 to 1 to win the World Series on DraftKings. DeGrom still out with that elbow inflammation, but Evaldi and Dane Dunning, who pitched on Wednesday have fared very well in their first couple months in the rotation so far. So between those two teams, again, surprise-ish teams, which one do you think is more of the sell-high candidate? And again, that's matchup dependent. I'm not asking you Friday, who are you betting against? But between the two, which one would you maybe
1: sell on? Again, if the pitchy matchup is right. To be honest with you, I think both of them are kind of sell teams uh, overall, but I would say Texas would be my first of the two because Texas's bullpen is not on the level of Baltimore's, and Baltimore's proven over the last couple of seasons that you know their bullpen can be elite even if they change some guys out. And obviously, you know they've got maybe the best one-two punch in, in Bautista and Cano across Major League Baseball this season. I don't think that the Rangers have that. I think the Rangers are maybe more consistent offensively, especially with Corey Seager back and a name you didn't mention in the rotation, Andrew Heaney's been pretty good for them too, but he's obviously an ongoing health concern every single season. But I think they're both sell-high teams. I mean, the Rangers, if you look at their offensive numbers, a lot of help offensively at home with the roof open in Arlington. Now it's going to be 95-plus every single day there. They won't be able to have the roof open. That ballpark plays much differently when it's closed up. So that's something where you look at Texas. Their home road splits, particularly against righties, are very, very large. So when they close that ballpark at home, I think their offense kind of cools off a little bit. Whereas I think Baltimore, they're just smart, man. They just, they're figuring stuff out. They've got, you know, a leader in Rutschman. Gunnar Henderson's better than he's performed so far. Mountcastle hits everything hard. Austin Hayes has a good hard hit percentage. I think Baltimore can stick around. I think Texas will stick around, but I think that Baltimore probably finishes higher to me with more wins than Texas does.
2: Yeah, we know all about the Texas bullpen. Uh, they cost me a few five-run leads already. <laughs> um, we also were wanted to talk about a couple more AL squads, a couple teams that I was actually bullish on, and they started out the season very well, but have kind of fallen off. Um, Blue Jays, plus 1,900. World Series futures, Angels, plus 6,000. Uh, I bought into both of those teams in division and Blue Jays for the AL. You seeing anything uh, that gives you any optimism on either of those as they have kind of stumbled here in the early to middle part part of the season?
1: You know, I I think for Toronto, it's tough. I mean, again, I, I think there are some bullpen concerns with the Blue Jays that we all kind of expected coming into the season. But the depth of their starting rotation, I mean, obviously, Kevin Gossman's fantastic, but. Beyond that, Alec Manoa has really taken a huge step backwards, which a lot of people expected. I expected to a degree, but not to the degree that we've seen here so far. Yusei Kikuchi is just, he's not really a a major league starter on a contending team, I don't think. And, you know, offensively, I think they've been a little bit underwhelming so far. Uh, This is a team that, you know, probably could have scored more runs relative to the amount of base runners that they've had. I'm shocked at their low offensive production at Rogers Center with the ballpark changes that have been made, specifically with that right center field wall moved in. But I still think Toronto is a really solid team just because their core is so reliable. You know, you've got Chapman, Merrifield's having a bounce back year, Guerrero's obviously a great player, Springer, the list goes on and on. With the Angels, they're just so top-heavy, right? I mean, so Otani and Trout, maybe Taylor Ward shows up every now and then, but they're just a very top-heavy team. Their bullpen's not particularly promising. The one thing I will say is if Griffin Canning figures out that he should stop throwing 50% fastballs, he's actually a pretty good starting pitcher. And Jaime Berea going today against the White Sox, they've moved him into the rotation, maybe it appears. Um, you know, the big question, obviously, do they hold on to Otani? Are they in striking distance to do that? But I think the Angels are at least intriguing, but Toronto is, is definitely the better of the two teams. And I also think that Toronto will be more aggressive at the trade deadline and making a big push, whereas the Angels are just kind of in no-man's land right now.
2: With how buried they are in the division, do you still think they've got a decent shot there? I mean, they're down to like 9-1 to one when I saw Toronto the other day, which is like kind of crazy with how good of a team they have. Well, the division's a tough ask. I mean, in the expanded playoffs, I think they've got a really good
1: shot to make it. But at the same time, I mean... As incredible as Tampa Bay's start was, they've been a 500 team essentially over the last 24 games, I think. I think they're actually 12-12 and over the last 24 going into today. The Yankees getting Stanton back will be a big boost for them. Severino's back. Rodon may come back at some point. (laughs) I think it will be tough for Toronto to to chase down that American League East crown, but I do think they'll be a dangerous team come playoff time, assuming that they get in, and and they should. I mean, the AL Central will be one team – the West, I think, is has a chance at being one team, uh, so I think Toronto makes the playoffs. I just, I just don't think that that division ticket looks all that great at this point.
2: So switching gears to the NL a little bit, um, we we've been talking about the Padres a lot. Eli and I are both kind of more bullish on the Padres, definitely than their their results so far, for sure. Um, do you think? There's a bounce back going to happen there. Uh, I still think that's one of, if not the best lineup when they're at full strength, Um, but they're closer to the cellar right now than they are to first place.
1: Yeah, it's been really weird for the Padres, right? And I mean, look, you know, they're going to have to get Manny Machado back at, at some point because he's just kind of a leader of that team, even though he didn't do anything, you know, up until he got hurt, really, except for hitting lefties really well, which is a valuable skill, but, you know, you'd rather be a bit better on the bigger side of the platoon This lineup is really talented. This pitching staff is really talented. It's a good bullpen, too. There's way too much talent for this team to be playing the way that it is, to not be capitalizing on these opportunities. They're pressing a little bit. I think that's been a big part of it. But, I mean, Juan Soto's back to being a top-five offensive player. Xander Bogarts will – he'll – you know, he's been okay, I guess, but (laughs) he's a guy with a long track record of success. Tatis is a guy that – you know, I think we all had legitimate questions about coming back off the suspension and the major surgery. He's still a dynamic player though when he gets it going. The, to me, I think the biggest thing for them is just you got to get Joe Musgrove going. You know, Joe Musgrove is such an important piece of this rotation where Michael Wacha has been phenomenal for them, kind of out of nowhere. We knew Darvish would be good, but Snell is a four and fly, five and fly type of guy that you can't really rely on. It's Musgrove to me that's got to be good for this rotation, and you know, coming off the injury and, and the rough start in Mexico City, he just hasn't gotten into a groove yet. But I think when he does, I think this team kind of takes off. So I don't think they're going to win the West or anything like that, but I certainly still expect this team to be a playoff contender.
0: Looking ahead to Thursday, I don't know if you've capped the card just yet, but I believe Musgrove is up against Jesus Lazardo, And just looking at some early odds here for the June 1st card, yeah, it is Lazardo. And minus 115 looks like the best number as of now on the Padres to win the game outright. So Miami pretty much minus 105. Would you give any sort of a look to San Diego? Do you see any signs
1: that Musgrove bounces back? Well, look, I mean, I think, you know, one thing that's really nice is the Marlins are not a good offense against righties. They're a very good offense against lefties, top five and weighted on base average this year. Ian Musgrove is right-handed, so that helps him. Also, he's going to Marlins Park where you can get away with some mistakes because that's not a really good offensive venue. So, this is a spot where I think Musgrove could possibly have a good outing, kind of, you know, have something to build off of. The question is how much run support he gets because Lazardo is also very good in that offense oppressive environment down there at Marlins Park. He was a lefty with high strikeout rates. I think it's a little bit of a tricky matchup for the Padres offense as well. Uh, But that's going to be a cheap total, you know, getaway day game. Those usually are. I just want to see Musgrove show something, show some signs of putting some consistency together. And I think there's a good chance for him to do that in this start. I just don't know if there's going to be a a great betting edge to be had in that game.
0: Makes a ton of sense. And it's become tradition, Adam, that we discuss this with every single guest that's come on the podcast (laughs) this season. The St. Louis Cardinals and the NL Central as a whole and like I mentioned with every division in baseball, no first place team has bigger than a four, four and a half game lead. And that's the same with the Milwaukee Brewers and Willie Adamas got hit and had, you know, we talk about injuries a ton with this Brewers team, whether it's Brandon Woodruff or Garrett Mitchell and Adamas wasn't even playing or wasn't at bat, I should say, or even in the on deck circle and got hit in the head in the dugout by a foul ball over the weekend. And Milwaukee sitting as low as minus 110 to win the division, despite having a four, four and a half game lead. Mo and I continue to have faith in the Cardinals. I got them at around plus 500, plus 550 before that Cubs series, going back to the early portion of May. And St. Louis's rotation is starting to get right. Mike Michaelis, who pitched in the World Baseball Classic, has dealt really well over his last couple starts, granted against the Reds and the Royals, but still a positive sign considering he needed to get his velocity and really arm back into season form, regular season form. And then Jack Flaherty also seems to be coming back, maybe not to his Cy Young ish potential, but his command has been a lot better over his last couple starts. And the Cardinals are as high as plus 215 to win this division. Now, the offense. Has been a big concern. Wilson Contreras, I believe, is hitting around 220. Goldschmidt cannot hit a fastball for his life anymore. He's just crushing off speed pitches. Arenado was on a big time toward stretch and then has cooled off of late. I think had a big double against the Royals on Tuesday. But outside of that, has really struggled just like Contreras. Cardinals outfield is banged up. Newt Barr may or may not come back for the Pirates series on Friday. So, as you could tell, Mo and I are bullish on St. Louis, are you joining us the rest of the way?
1: Well, I think at this point, I mean, a lot of the line equity has been stripped out of taking them to win the Central Division. And, and this division is bad. I mean, I, the AL Central is terrible. This division's quite bad as well. Um, you know, look, I, I think at this point in time, you know, because of the Cardinals track record, I think they have one losing season since 1999 or something like that. Some absurd number you have to assume that they get this thing figured out. Although they've had a lot of problems publicly and seemingly in the clubhouse, the catcher issue, Oliver Marmol seems to be kind of overwhelmed a little bit at times with some of the things that he's had to deal with, but this lineup has exceptional talent. And one name you didn't mention in the rotation is Jordan Montgomery, who I'm a huge fan of. So the starting pitching is coming around. Wainwright doesn't look like the same dude at all. So we'll see how long they kind of deal with him in his final season. But the thing that concerns me for them is their bullpen's a little bit top heavy with Helsley and Gallegos. Polante's fine, but I think they need to develop some more arms at the back end. Um, you know, I think Matthew Libertor is a guy with upside in that rotation. But look, the one that pisses me off the most, honestly, is the Chicago Cubs. I mean, this is a team that's. I don't know if people out there are familiar with base runs, but base runs is an alternate standings metric over at Fangraphs that takes the context out of the equation, right? So it takes all of the individual outcomes, throws them into a hopper, puts together runs scored per game, runs allowed per game. The Cubs are underachieving by seven games this season, according to that base runs mark by four games by Pythagorean win-loss. For some reason, I still believe in this team, and maybe it's because I have – a season win total over ticket on them that I'm really hoping they find a way to cash. But I think the Cubs absolutely have the talent to win this division. It's just a matter of winning the close games, which they haven't done enough of here so far this season. I wouldn't be shocked if, if this division comes down to the Cubs and Cardinals, to be honest with you, because if I'm Milwaukee, I pull a Baltimore from last year and I say, you know what? We're in the playoff race, but we're not really good enough to do anything when we get there. So we're going to trade Corbin Burns, and we're going to restock this farm system. I think they have to make that difficult decision, and the Pirates just aren't there yet. So I could see the Cardinals winning this division, but I think the Cubs are still live as well.
2: I bought Cubs uh, preseason around plus 800, and I've been quite frustrated watching them as well. So, uh, yeah, I definitely hear you there. Yeah, when you piss off your best player like that, too, I mean if maybe if they had any sort of like way to repair the relationship with Corbin Burns, it would be different. But I feels like it's a foregone conclusion that he's gonna be out of there the second he can. So I hadn't really thought about that. But I, I think there's like no way that happens because of where they're at, but maybe if that changes, it would probably be. I mean shocked. Josh
0: Hader last year, you trade away your primetime closer. You have Devin Williams who's one of the best relief arms in baseball, but to Adam's point, Milwaukee
1: isn't really in a position to contend late into October. So it makes sense. And, and by the way, I mean, from a base run standpoint, and, and what I say about taking out context. So just to give a quick definition of this. So if an inning goes single, single home run, strikeout, strikeout, flyout, you scored three runs, right? Two singles, home run. If you change the order of those six outcomes, and it's a leadoff homer, two singles, two strikeouts, and a flyout, you scored one run. So it's all about the sequencing, and that's what kind of dictates how games end up playing out, especially in the current era of baseball where it's really just about who capitalizes with men in scoring position and who doesn't. But the reason why base runs I think is relevant is because it takes that sequencing out where, you know, hey, maybe you hit a three-run homer, and that's great, and that's awesome, but maybe it's a solo homer. And the difference between one run and three runs is very, very significant. So that's what base runs does And interestingly enough, the Cubs have been the unluckiest team regarding base runs, whereas the Brewers have been the luckiest team. They're 28 and 26 with a minus 26 run differential. That's not a very good baseball team. And I think that because of the small market conditions they have to operate within, they may look at it and say, you know what, we should move Corbin Burns. It's a
0: good point. A lot of good points there. And, Mo and I are both hopeful that at least you're, well, Mo is rooting for the Cubs and maybe you are too, maybe not to win the division, but at least go over the win total. I'm certainly on the Cardinals bandwagon. I'm circling that start on Friday, Jack Flaherty against Contreras in Pittsburgh. I think there might be another opportunity to sell high on the Pirates, depending on what the number is and if the market hasn't really adjusted to Flaherty Quite yet. I mean, he pitched well against your Guardians, but as we talked about in the forefront, this Cleveland offense is exceptionally bad. When we think about base runs and the metric that you just brought up and dug into heavily, is there anybody, any other team that's gotten unlucky that may be a buy low candidate, whether it's
1: futures or single game wise? So I'm going to regret saying this, I think, but the Kansas City Royals should be way better than they actually are. And I get that that's kind of a weird thing to say about a team that's 17 and 39 at this point in time. But not only are they one of the worst teams with runners in scoring position on offense, they've had no luck on the other side either in terms of their pitching stats with runners in scoring position against. Now, part of that has to do with the fact their rotation is terrible. Jordan Lyles is just bad. He's just out there eating innings. But Brady Singer has done a complete 180, and he's been terrible so far this year. But this Royals offense... They are third in baseball, or, well, fourth, I think it is now. They're fourth in baseball, top five offense in baseball, in hard hit percentage, which is a batted ball hit at least 95 miles per hour, and batted balls that classify as that go for hits about 50% of the time. They're a top five offense in hard hit percentage, and they've been a bottom five offense most of the year in batting average. It makes no sense whatsoever. They strike out a lot, but not that much more than really anybody else. I think Kansas City is a team, if they ever figure out how to get anybody useful in that rotation, they could be a team to back or at a minimum, looking at their team totals or overs in their games, stuff like that. The ball carries very well to the alleys at Kauffman Stadium when it's hot in the summertime, and we're getting to that point. So I think Kansas City either team total over, um, full game over, first five over, stuff like that, or if they're in a matchup where they can outscore somebody, Ah, uh, they may be a team you could cash some underdog prices with here going forward.
2: Yeah, I think Statcast was a big fan of what the Royals have been doing. I, I remember when I checked in on them a few weeks ago, they had a a top five uh, ex-WOBA or something. I think they were one of the one of the better teams at striking the ball for sure. But like you said, the strikeouts are a problem. And also to be clear to people that about these uh, base runs and sequencing thing. The reason it's important is there's no evidence that teams can outperform this over the long haul. They they can't repeat it year to year. The teams that have been good are usually back to average, whatever, are bad, and they're back to average in the future. So that's why it's important. Um, one more uh, thing we wanted to talk about also was awards. Uh, not sure if you're big into awards markets, uh, but, you know, Otani, two more dingers today, uh, <laughs> making his case. Again, looks like he's going to be, if he's not already, he's minus to win the award now, uh, AL MVP. Acuna has been close to that as well in the NL, although he's slumping a bit right now. Uh, Any awards standing out to you right now that you're interested in betting?
1: Yeah, I don't really do a whole lot with the awards markets just because, you know, I mean, it's kind of a matter, especially with the Cy Young this year, of just hoping that dudes stay healthy. Like, that's kind of the big issue. Look, I mean, the elephant in the room with Otani is clearly if he gets traded, you know, he can't win the American League MVP. So I know I, I've got some buddies who have, like, Randy or Rosarena tickets and, you know, stuff like that, Your Don Alvarez tickets, things of that sort, just thinking that maybe there's a chance that Otani gets traded to the National League if the Angels do kind of fall apart here. But, look, I mean, I, I think that the biggest one is just, you know, when you talk about looking at the Cy Young markets, like, everybody's hurt. Like so many guys are getting hurt here. So I think you really want to look at pitchers that have a long track record of being durable or something you can look at as you start kind of going through trying to find some of these things, at least in terms of the Cy Young market. If you start seeing velocity declines, spin rate decreases, stuff like that, maybe injury indicators, maybe a sign that you want to pick somebody else to win the Cy Young award. The other thing that I would look at, and I thought about this with Dylan Cease last year, and I wound up not pulling the trigger, but – Look at who the upcoming starts are going to be against and try to get out in front of it and see if maybe you can pick off a guy who's going to wind up facing the Tigers and the Guardians and you know some of these other teams that are awful, the Royals, the A's, some of these teams that have bad offensive numbers. If you can pick those guys out before they run into a really soft part of the schedule or on the flip side, and this is a college basketball concept I'm sure Eli's done before, you know, if someone's facing the Dodgers in a ESPN Sunday Night Baseball game, something like that, if that guy goes out there and shoves, his Cy Young price is going down 3 $4, $5 maybe, just off of that one start. So you just want to look for buy points in the awards markets. I think it's easier to do with pitchers than it is to do with hitters. But the same thing applies, right? I mean, think about the Braves from last year. It was around this time last year, I think it was June 1st actually, that they had this run of like 14 straight – they won 14 in a row – and they were playing the absolute dregs of the league. They were playing bottom feeders for like two weeks straight. And a lot of their guys padded their numbers as a result. So if you can find those, you know that's you want to look at some schedule analysis in terms of jumping into these awards markets in season. It's a great
0: transition point. And I didn't think I would ask this question. And speaking of Sunday Night Baseball, Yankees-Dodgers on Sunday, this coming Sunday, Domingo Herman, and Bobby Miller slated to pitch. Would you give Miller any chance? I I need to pull up the odds here in terms of not Cy Young, but NL Rookie of the Year, because he has been ultra impressive in his first couple starts, and I'm sure the number has dipped. It's also at the midpoint, or a couple months into the season, Carroll has been so dominant, but if he shoves against the Yankees, his NL Rookie of the Year price is definitely going to take a, Knock. so would you give any consideration in that regard? And in the midst of
1: your discussion here or your points, I'll pull up his odds. Yeah, I see 50 to one at DraftKings. I'm not sure what MGM has. I'm sure that'll be the book that you look at. But, you know, look, I mean, I think it makes sense, right? Especially because the Yankees this week have blown up Bryce Miller and Logan Gilbert. So, you know, they're doing pretty well here against some pretty good pitchers over the last few days. Um, That's absolutely a situation where, you know, if he goes out there and pitches well, he's already got a good start against the Braves under his belt too, which is a nice little feather in his cap. And also, this Dodgers rotation is a mess. I mean, Walker Buehler might come back September 1st. Dustin May is hurt. bunch of dudes are hurt. Um, you know, obviously with Kershaw, he's kind of a ticking time bomb with that back year in and year out. This may run into a situation where all of a sudden Bobby Miller is like the number two starter for the Dodgers, and he's getting some of that run. He's getting talked about in that way and he's a, as major league ready as they get you know big guy workhorse body type throws a ton of fastballs for strikes has a deep arsenal so you don't worry about him facing teams a second or a third time i if you're looking for a buy point on a guy like that i absolutely think that you know it's reasonable i mean he's priced with a guy like matthew liberator who i think Liberatore's fine but i don't think his upside is nearly the same as bobby miller's Great conversation with Adam Burke, really enjoyed this,
0: a lot of different angles that we took, whether it's division odds or buy low candidates on a game-by-game basis, and even the last one, which I had no idea we were going to discuss, Bobby Miller, but something worth considering if you're even looking to bet that game on Sunday night between the Yankees and Dodgers. But he is Adam Burke, at Skating Tripods, on Twitter, Sports Betting Analyst for Vison and... You know, I don't want to say we gave the Cleveland Guardians luck because it is just a one-run lead, but they are up on Baltimore. They didn't score with runners on first and second and nobody out in the top of the second, which probably doesn't surprise you in the least. But I will give us some credit
1: if they win this game. Okay, Adam? Yeah, it sounds good to me. And look, before I sign off here, our NFL guide will come out next month at Vista. Well, almost this month. It'll come out late June. Over at VEASAN, we got a lot of great stuff going on for the NBA and the N- NHL Finals. Uh, you can subscribe, introductory offer, nine ninety nine over there at the website. And obviously, we're on air all the time, including part of the DraftKings Network Samsung Fast Channel. Uh, so you can check that out as well. But my podcast, VEASAN Daily Baseball Bets, every Monday through Friday. And then I do a daily article over at the website Monday through Saturday. Uh, deep breakdowns on every game, even if I don't have a play on it. So trying to share as much information as possible, because you guys know this as well as I do. You know, I mean, look, we all want to pick winners, but also in this content creation space, we're trying to share as much relevant info as we can, and that's what I do on a daily basis, and I know you guys do an excellent job of that as well.
0: Thanks, man, and kudos to you guys over at VEASAN. Our guy, Matt Brown, who works with us at thelines.com, also part of the VEASAN network, hosts, I think Monday through Friday during NFL season. I know he's... Definitely enjoying some vacation time here in the spring and the summer. Likes baseball, but is much more of a football guy and unfortunately is a big Minnesota Vikings better. I know it worked out for him last year, but Mo and I, fingers crossed, are hoping that things don't go his way this upcoming NFL season. But like I mentioned, Adam Burke, fantastic Major League Baseball conversation. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Mo is on Twitter at Mo Nawara. You can follow the lines at the lines us thanks for watching and listening to another edition of beat the closing number so long everybody